0: turn this on. Is it working? How did you make that buzz like that again? Show me that. (laughs) That'd be a good tactic, to keep people awake, you know. (laughs) I hadn't thought about that until just now, but uh, that's a pretty good trick on that. What they need to do is put those microphones with a little buzzer, you know, so like that when (laughs) people start snoozing. Or I guess a better thing would be for the preacher to do better or quit, one or the other. I usually have a a, uh, a human clock with me. It's called my wife, but she's and I'm not a preacher, by the way. I served as an elder for a long, long time um, at, a, at a church in Oldham County, and uh, we moved to Stop in Wayne County, which is really where all my people are from and everything. and And uh, that's where we worship now. Some of y'all are familiar with Stop, and some of y'all aren't. And this is not a sermon about me, anyway. But i but I'll just uh, at least give you some idea. And so. Since I'm no longer serving as an elder, you know, I'm an old man and everybody knows that. It's pretty visibly obvious, but I still have things I can do, and so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to teach and and preach and do whatever I can do to help, because I think that's the responsibility that I have, not because I'm special, but because we're all gifted with jobs to do, and that's the responsibility I think we have as Christians, and so that's why... I'm here, that, and probably couldn't get anybody else to come in on Easter, so you got stuck with me, and you can blame Carolyn Palmer for suggesting it. No. Anyway, I know several of you, and some of you I don't know at all, um, but there's a couple fellers here. At one time, I was preaching at another place, and I walked up here, and I looked down, there's a little note that says the trap door opens in 15 minutes. (laughs) So I think it was about 15 minutes later before I stopped laughing. That anyway, they're here, and I won't call them by name or anybody else by name, because if I say something, I miss I miss somebody, and it hurts feelings. Uh, you know, today is Easter. I bet that's a surprise to you, right? And people, uh, a lot of folks celebrate Easter as a special holiday. Easter's not a biblical a day, uh, but the resurrection is. And I'm not here really to talk about the resurrection, but a resurrection. <clears throat> really, kind of. Springing from that. But the resurrection is as central to our religion as the, uh, uh, to who we are, to our faith as the cross is. Because without the cross, then everything that's said about the Christ is is not true. The, the prophecies are not true. What Jesus said it, it would make him a liar because he said he was going to be raised and all those things. And if Jesus is still in the grave, he would be like a whole lot of other people who were crucified or put to death in other ways. And, and our faith would be in vain, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we, we, and he said, we of all men would be most miserable. And I think he's referencing a whole lot himself because of what he was serving. And, and so, what a great joy. And, and I'm all happy when people are talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ or any other aspect of Jesus, even though it's not a spiritual holiday. But I want us to think of a resurrection of reverence toward a lot of things. It, when I look out here and I see you all, it makes me smile, listen to singing. I, I love to sing. I love the singing. I like the comments and the prayer. The class was good for this. The songs were good for this sermon, I believe. But if you're an old man, you know you have a history, right? Old people like to live in the past. They like to talk about the past. The past was always better, you know. Well, you can't do that because we forget the bad things, remember the good things. Well, when I was a boy, son, you know, you pull your britches up a little bit like that, puff your chest out and talk about things like that. But there are some things that were different and good, and I think better, when I was young. We focus on, the, on our situation in our society because we see it tanking. It's just, you look at things that our government does, you look at things that people accept and talk about, and you think, how in the world can anybody in their right mind get there? Much less our leaders and one of them. But one of the things that I've been thinking about that's been bothering me a whole lot, and it's not new, but we went on a trip to Florida, my wife and I. And I was planning on worshiping at two different congregations, and they're gone. I called another fella that I, whose name I had, and I said, <clears throat> What times your worship service? Oh, we don't meet there anymore. I'm going over here. It was Palm Springs. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't think I've got clothes nice enough to go to Palm Springs. <laughs> That's a joke. It's a bad joke. I'm sorry. But look, here's the deal. That's a discouraging thing. And when I sit in a pew at stop, I can tell you right now, there's less than half the number of people at stop that there was when I was a boy. And for a while, I was at University Heights in Lexington. Pretty good sized congregation in a growing town. And back then, you know, they put chairs in the aisles. And I know the demographics of, of places change. And all this is not within our, our control at all. But you see everywhere. Not in every congregation, and, and by the way, I don't, know, uh, I don't know you all that well as a congregation, as individuals. So if I say things, well, that's not us. Okay, that's great. Now, this is not some kind of accusation. And if you have any issue or, you, you know, feel free to say good job if you want to. No. But, but what I'm trying to say is you see this going on all the time. And I remember sitting out, sitting out chairs in the aisle at University, University of University of As a building, it'll hold a whole lot more than the number of people in there. This is not a disparagement of them either, or stop. And you see this over and over and over again. I I worshiped in Lakeland, Florida. uh, I don't know where you can go in Florida where it's not growing. The building would probably hold 300 people, and there was probably 120 in. it. And you think, what's going on? What's happened? And we've seen this go down. In stock, for instance, you know, everybody grew up, and they had to go somewhere else to get a job. Well, that's going to affect it, isn't it? I mean, you're not going to see the same thing that you, you, you can't make. Those people don't come back. Their kids are raised somewhere else, and that affects the size of a congregation. We had meetings in Wayne County. Stop would have a meeting for a week in a tent because we couldn't get everybody in. Moncella Church, which is another one that's, you know, and, I'm, again, I don't want anybody to take this as a disparagement of anybody. I'm just stating facts. Had a meeting for two weeks. In a tent, packed. So, if you're a kid and you don't like church that much, you know, you, you got then. Then it was Cheer Valley, and then it was Oil Valley, and then it was. And so you go to church almost every night of the every night of the week during the summer, even in frog gigging season and stuff like that. You you like church, you know, and when you get a little older, it's like cute girls there and stuff. A lot of good reasons to be there. But that's not the. When you see that now, our meetings are shorter. We drop. Times that we meet, you know, we we meet twice a week instead of three times. Again, not a disparagement. I don't know what you all do. But you see the shrinking. And as an old person, I think, you know, that's my generation that dropped the ball. It's me. So when I face the Lord in judgment, what am I going to say to it? Well, I saw that shrinking. I saw things going kind of look downhill. But you know, our society is really bad. It's really bad. Nobody wants to hear the gospel. And then I think about the the time of Christ. Nobody's flogging me with whips. Nobody's threatening to string me up or crucify me or anything. It wasn't exactly well received then, was it? There were 3,000 souls added to the church on the day of Pentecost, but how many is that compared to the city of Jerusalem? So, What's the Lord going to say? Well, you're right, Bill. Things kind of went downhill. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, it is not in our control. But we have responsibility to do things that are in our control to make sure it's not our fault. And so I think about, is this my fault? To what extent am I the problem? Why the church hasn't grown why it's shrinking in some places. In, other areas, in some areas, it's, it's, it's doing better. But I see it all over. And so I'm thinking to myself, this is a sermon to build. What's wrong with brethren? What's wrong with congregations? And you know congregations are called to repent. If you read the, the letter to the churches in Asia, you know, I think five out of seven of them are called to repent. Once called dead, poor, wretched, blind, lukewarm, all kinds of things like that. But the Lord is calling them to repent and resurrect the first love. Such things as that. So if I'm guilty of those things, I need to resurrect that. I need to revive that. We didn't have revivals. We had gospel meetings, right? Baptists had revivals. We have gospel meetings. But there are things that we need to revive sometimes both as individuals and both as congregations. And, and I think that whether you do or whether you don't, it's good to be a reminder of that. And those of us who do need to revive and to resurrect what we were doing before, I, I think it's important for us to think about those things. So one of the things that I thought about that needs to be resurrected is, is, a, is a reverence toward God. And, and there was a lot of talk about that today in class. And, and the song we sang, the first song we sang, and all that's absolutely wonderful and I love it. But if you will, turn to Exodus 19 and we'll begin in chapter 1. I've got, I don't want to discourage you before we get started about way too much as I stand here talking about other things and looking at this. So I'm, go, I'm going to whittle some but in Exodus 19.1, you know the story of, of the Israel and, and God leads them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. Uh, it, Pharaoh is destroyed. The, the Egyptians are, are flooded over while the, while the Jews walk across on dry land. And God takes this handful of people and makes a nation out of them, as he had promised uh, Abraham. And they get into the, they get into the desert <clears throat> and, and God's starting to talk to them. He's setting up this covenant with them because they're, they're going to be his special people. And so in Exodus 19, he said, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out, and that's the third month after the children had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from, anyway, I'll skip those towns and places and locations. <laughs> and on chapter in verse 3, Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be special treasure to me above all the people, for the earth. all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, these are the words that you'll speak to the children of Israel. And verse 7, Moses came, called for the elders of the people, laid before them all these words that the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words to the people, brought back to God. So God says, Look, you tell these people, you tell the people, that you're gonna, I'm going to make you special. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be above all. The whole world is mine, but you're going to be top of the class, if you'll keep my commandments, if you'll do my will. And they say, okay, yes, we will. So we've made a contract. We've made a covenant. We've made an agreement to do this. And so Moses goes back to, goes back to God. And so Moses came and called for the elders. They did that. The People answered, yes, we will. And in verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for all the people around you, saying, Take heed yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch it. Space. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death, not a hand shall touch uh, shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come to the mountain. You see this picture that's going. Uh, and Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and washed their clothes and said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. And then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that a thick cloud On the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, and the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. And let the priests also come near the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and sanctify it. And the Lord said to him, Away, get down, then come up with Aaron with you, and do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. And Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. So you see this picture. Don't even touch the mountain. If anybody touches the mountain, kill them. If an animal touches the mountain, kill them. I want you to see this smoke and this fire and hear this voice and hear this sound. And the picture you get is people trembling. Let me ask you a question. What would you do if you heard and saw all that? I think I'd be trembling too. I don't know about you, but I think I would stay back. And God says, you go get Aaron, who's going to be the high priest. You go get Aaron and you bring him up. Nobody else comes. And even to meet with me, you stay off the mountain. I come to meet with you. You tell the people to sanctify themselves to wash themselves, to cleanse themselves for the third day because they're going to meet with me. Do you think God expects to be reverenced? See, we don't see things that way now because that's not our way, is it? Jesus died for us. I've been washed. I've been cleansed. I don't live under the old law. Praise God. I don't want to live under the old law. But in the process, I can lose reverence for God. Can't I by all that? Look at the first three commandments. I am the Lord your God. That's the first words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven, above, or on the earth, beneath, or that is in the water or underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God. And I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation. And then the next one, in in verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath, because it's the Lord's Sabbath. You see a pattern here? You do this because I said so. (laughs) That's it. Now, we don't like to hear that as kids. And God gives reasons for, for why He wants us to do things a lot of times. But I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. You reverence me. You respect me and nobody else. And what I ask you to do, you do it. So, did that change when Jesus died? I don't have to do that anymore. I just say, forgive me, Lord, like I sneeze and say, excuse me. (laughs) Well, you know, the Lord said, if I confess my sins and pray and ask for forgiveness, you know I'm going to be forgiven, so, ah, piece of cake. I'll go on and do this, and I'll I'll make sure i get that taken care of before I die. I mean, can we get a little casual about it? Is it possible to lose our reverence toward God? I mean, we come in here to worship, and we talk about it. We say we are. But are we? I'm asking you. I'm asking me. Do I have the appropriate reverence toward God that I should have? If I don't, I need to resurrect that. That's where it all starts. We worship God because he loves us, right? We worship God because Christ died for us and was raised never to die again. But we worship God because if we don't, <laughs> we're going to pay for it. And if we don't understand that he's God and did all these things and have that kind of reverence, if we reverence, if we don't worship God in, in that form of fear, we don't get the picture at all. That's where it starts. and We need to get that in order to be strong in our faith and determined to be faithful to him. Don't you think? I don't know how you can overstate this. If you, if you go on down in, in chapter 20 and about verse uh, down on past that, I won't read all that. In verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightnings and the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoke, and when people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we'll hear you. <laughs> no, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. They're getting the picture, aren't they? Are they getting the picture? But Moses said to the people, Don't fear. For God has come to test you that you may fear him before... Uh, it, actually, it says in the, in the, in the New King James uh, that, that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. What really I think that means is it'll stay with you. That fear will stay with you so that you don't sin. It starts out and says, don't fear. And then at the, at the end it says, Fear. <laughs> The point of all this is is that I don't have to stand trembling because God's going to strike me dead if I say the wrong thing up here. God loves me. God wants me in heaven. We talked about that in class up here. More than anything, he wants you in heaven more than anything. But I have to have that respect, and if I keep that respect before me, it will help me to not sin, not take for granted that love, not take for granted that desire of God, but have that same desire. But I need to have that, re- that, re- that reverence and that respect for God. So if you don't have that, let's revive it. And, you know, the Jews departed from it in the, in the Song of Moses in, in Deuteronomy 32. It's almost a pre-written history of the, of the life of the Jews. And it, and it doesn't take them any time, as we know, to turn away from that. And it doesn't take us any time to turn away from that. And if you look and I'll also have you turn over there to Malachi because we I may do some reading from there um actually if you don't mind just turn over there but in the meantime you know God, here's Israel God's people God said you're the you're my chosen people we're going to hear that same phrase or we actually i think we may have ref, uh, looked at that phrase in bible class in in uh, in first peter two but but in Malachi, the first chapter, he reminds them, I, I, I've loved you. I did all these things for you. I, back in the promise made to uh, uh, Rebekah, he, he said, Jacob, I've loved Esau, I've ate it. But when he tells her before she ever gives birth, she said, the younger the older will serve the younger. There are two nations in your womb. And he made these promises concerning Jacob or Israel and, and uh, Edom, the descendants of Esau. Or, are not, uh, you know, they're not held up. They're torn down over and over and over again in favor of the Jews. He so I've done all these things for you. But the point of it all is, in, in verse 5, is the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. The purpose of, of, their, of Israel existing as a special nature, nation. I'm sorry I'm having so much trouble here. As a special nation, is to hold up God before the world, to demonstrate the greatness, the glory, of God. He says, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, a servant his master. And if then I am your father, I am your master, why, where's, my, where's my reverence? They had a big problem with that. So, 1 Peter 2, if you want to, keep your finger in Malachi. 1 Peter 2, let's read that as well. Uh, beginning in, um, let's see, uh, uh, let's, try, let's drop down to, to verse 9. Um, This is not the Jews he's speaking to. He said, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from Fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that they may speak; that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he goes on to say, submit to every ordinance and all that kind of thing. It, their behavior in the Lord. But you see the picture of this: we are the chosen. It's not the Jews; it's Christians. We are the priesthood. And the job of the priesthood is to is to glorify God, to, to direct people to God, in, so, in some cases an intercessor, an intercessor between God and man. A priest is appointed from among men, for men, and things pertaining to God. But as a priesthood, it's our job to hold up God before the world. And we do that first by our own behavior. If I'm not behaving the way I should, how am I going to hold up Christ the true light before the world? You ever heard it? I'm not going to church. There's hypocrites in church. If you haven't, you've never asked somebody to come to church. I'm just telling. There's there's common phrases. You people think you're the only ones going to heaven. I've heard that a few times, you know. Well, I don't know. There's too many hypocrites in church. They're, they're hanging out down here at the sports bar that I'm going to, too, but I don't want to be with them at church. You've heard that. Well, listen, there's some validity to that in some cases, isn't there? If I'm out there not behaving right, what chance have I had, do I have to glorify God? I just make Christians look like hypocrites. It's not him doing the wrong, but it's me making him look wrong. And so I need to, I need to clean up my own act. I need to act like somebody who's trying to bring glory and honor to God. But he also said, in in a couple places in there, we need to proclaim his praises. We're a special priesthood. We need to proclaim his praises. What's the clock? What time am I supposed to quit? (laughs) He took the first point yet. Ah, I'm sorry, I know it's not funny to you all, but the good thing about preaching is you don't have to worry about falling asleep during a long sermon. (laughs) That's another reason why I preach. No, sometimes. But truthfully, we talk about changing our culture. Are we affected by our culture? You think we are? If you think the average person who sits in pews in congregations is is not a little bit different than they were 40, 50, 60 years ago, i got bad news for you. Because we're not necessarily staying in the same place. We're like the caboose on a train, which, by the way, I don't think trains have cabooses anymore. But the train moves, and the caboose moves with it. We're back here. We're not on the leading edge, but we're back here moving. And we can always say, well, you know, I'm not up there where the engine is. I'm not even up there where the middle car is. And we feel pretty good about ourselves. But we move. Let me ask some of you all that are, well, maybe I can ask all of you all. What would happen if you took the Lord's name in vain when you were a kid? What if you said, oh, my God? If I was within arm's reach, I know what would happen to me. I'd be facing backwards, <laughs> just the head part. I'd get slapped. I mean, I'd get busted. Take the Lord's name in vain, What do you? what is that? How can you take the Lord's name in vain? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, that's better than oh, my God. Oh, my God. All the time. Turn on television Shut. I mean, a good, who likes to watch Home and Garden? You don't have to hold your hand, out. Everybody. <laughs> who likes Hallmark? I mean, you could probably count it 50 times in a Home and Garden. They walk in the house and, you know, I say these young couples, they're like 25. They're walking down a half a million dollar house and they, oh, that's dated. <laughs> but when it's over, it's, oh my God, oh my God. We have OMG as a text thing. That's short for oh my God. I mean, it's just become so profane. We don't hold his name up. We don't think but it. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. That command didn't end when Christ died for us. But that's the society we live in. And we've changed in a lot of ways. Things in some ways are better, but not that way, for sure. When I was young, and especially people living in the country and stuff like that, you know, you, you gave thought. Sunday. Now, in in the uh, you know, if you were in the country and didn't have a water running water, you might have a well or cistern, or spring or something like that. <laughs> you know, if you were one of six kids and taking a bath, you definitely want to be first, <laughs> cause you're to think Bobby and Johnny and. you <laughs> By the time you get down there, you're you're bathing in Bobby's dirt and... Johnny's dirt. But you you might have taken a bath once a week. But guess when you took it? You took it on Saturday night. Why? God, I'm going to worship God on Sunday. There was that's a cultural thing. I'm not telling you, you have to take a bath on Saturday night. Although we appreciate it. Sunday mornings even better. But what I'm saying is we did things really out of a reverence to God without even thinking about it, or our parents did. You know, I'm not telling you there's a dress code. In fact, there goes the microphone. I'm not telling you there's a dress code. But what I'm telling you is, in those days, man put on his best overalls. If he lived in the middle of nowhere and had nothing, he put on his best overalls. He put on his cleanest shirt because he was going to church. It's the Lord's Day. Our society looked at it as the, as, the, as the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath. The scriptures don't teach that. But we had blue laws that respected that. We, you didn't have ball games on Sunday. Nowhere. Now that's a big day for soccer and baseball and all that other stuff. The Cats didn't play on Sunday. They played on Tuesdays and Saturdays because the SEC didn't play. Because Wednesday night's, Wednesday night's church Sunday is, you know, Lord's Day. That's a change in society, but it affects us, doesn't it? And our our reverence for God, and and I don't want to make too much of that, but that's where we are. You watch a Hallmark movie. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. It's the same story. We just change actors and places and stuff. But this crawls all over me. The universe wants it. You ever heard that on Hallmark? Anybody watch Hallmark? All right, you women don't have to raise your hand, but I know you. Hallmark, all always love stories and everything. And she always ends up with the guy she's supposed to end up, even though she's about to, she's, she's seeing this guy that she isn't supposed to be, and, and we don't find out till the end, but we always know at the end. And 1.59, they're going to kiss. <laughs> One hour and 59 minutes, right before it's over. Just write that down. I'll give you some keys on how to understand a Hallmark. But they don't say God wanted anything. Now, some of the things they would attribute to God I wouldn't necessarily do it, but no, we can't on TV in public say God wanted that or that was the plan of God or the desire of God. It's the universe wants it. How disrespectful is that? We can't honor him. We can take his, take his name in vain. But we have to be careful that we're not influenced by that because it is easier. But you know what Paul said in Romans uh, chapter 12? Verse 1, you know this passage. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you print, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. I have to be careful about being conformed to that but the first part of that I think is important because we have to reverence God in our worship as well our worship is different we don't have to uh, offer animals you know we don't have to approach God uh, and send the priest you know under the old law, I mean, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year, which is where God met with him. He had to sanctify himself, sanctify the t- the things in the temple, sanctify the utensils, sanctify everything, sanctify himself, and, and the priest could go in the regular place, but you couldn't even go there. God's not doing that because he doesn't want you to be close to him. We can't approach the Holy of Holies because we have a high priest who's in heaven. That's a good thing about the new thing, but we still have to understand this separation of sin and holiness, the separation from God, just so that we can respect Him. But in our daily worship, look. You say, "Time is ticking." Anyway, my worship is not just in here. I present my body as a living sacrifice to God. What that means is every day and every way I'm worshiping God. And I don't want to make it silly. I'm popping corn for Jesus like people do and stuff. That's not the point of it. But every decision I make every day about everything I do is in worship to God. What would God have me to do? Should I take this job? Now, I don't have the answer. He may not. Okay, Bill, pick job B. I'm not going to get that. But I think about how is this going to affect me? How is this going to affect my family? How is this going to affect my children? Every decision that we make needs to have thought of that because we're living as priests and as sacrifice. We are a living sacrifice to God. So I want you to think about that. It's not just in here. Every day and everything that you do, you you should be giving thought to God and about what He would want. So, Colossians 1, you know, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, right? I, Colossians 3, I mean. Uh, but, you know, Malachi's day, and I never did go back there because I can see we probably won't have time to read. They're, they're chastised because worship became a bother. Oh, bother. yours. We have to come back here again. We have to listen to another dull sermon. Man, that singing is bad. You ought to sit in front of brother so-and-so, man. He can't carry it. He's about three notes ahead everybody else. We go home and our kids are sitting in the car and we're talking to each other. If I have to hear that one more time, you know, that was terrible. Well, what do you think your kids are getting from that as you go home? Is that the way we are when we come to, to our group worship? I mean, look. We proudly say we try to worship like the like the New Testament church, don't we? Well, maybe we do, and maybe we don't. When you before you came here, did you give thought about what you were gonna do? While you're here, are you thinking I hope he quits because I got dinner, you know, people coming? <laughs> are you thinking about are you thinking about worship? Or are you thinking about what's coming afterwards? I don't just mean on on a holiday or something like that. Did you prepare? Hand, did you prepare beforehand? Am I tired because I stayed up too late last night doing other things? Singing? Are we singing and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? I have to say, you're all singing is better better than stop. You know, it's a good thing about being a Christian. We're not graded on how Well, I sing four-part harmony. Or how well I carry a tune and bucket. Because I may not be able to. But I'll tell you what. What's the purpose of that singing? I'm supposed to be teaching and admonishing you. You're supposed to be teaching and admonishing me. We sing praise to God. We sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. But I'm supposed to be considering you. We assemble because we are coming together to provoke one another into love and good works. To teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. The Hebrew writer even says we need to exhort one another daily so that we don't fall. We should be doing that daily. But you should come thinking, I'm going to encourage my brethren through song, because And it's not how well you carry tune in the bucket. Do you think about that the singing was terrible? I didn't get nothing out of that service this morning. The point is, you're supposed to be thinking about what you're putting in it because you're worshiping God, you're giving honor to God, you're teaching and admonishing your brother, you're provoking one another to love and good works. It doesn't matter if our if everything we do is biblically principled in the way we do it. We don't have a piano, we don't have a band. That's important. I'm saying that. I'm not saying that doesn't matter, but that's not good enough. Sing out! Come thinking about how can I build up my brethren and think about them when you're not here because that's how we reverence God and that's what he's called us to do in worship. We need to give thought to one another and sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord But while, and in the process we're, we're encouraging one another. That's the purpose of song. And you know song works, doesn't it? Do you, do you remember things that you learned in a song? Jesus called them one by one. Peter, Andrew, James. Maybe you didn't learn that. But we teach kids that way. That's a sad thing. I can remember songs from the 50s. I don't mean church songs. (laughs) I mean songs that were on the radio. Come on, I'm singing with them. Oh, wow, how can I remember that? I can't remember what happened yesterday. But what I'm saying is, there's a value to that. And, And God's called us to do that. Let's do it. Are you eating the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? Are you giving thought? to his death until he comes again celebrating his resurrection every week. Proclaiming his death. You see that again? We're proclaiming God. That's part of our job. Uh, Are we laying by in stores we prosper? Are we serious about his word? If we read Malachi which we didn't, you know if you respect God you've got to respect his word. And we talked about that in class this morning. They divorced They called evil good. We don't do that, do we? Not in our society especially. You have a right to love who you love, right? (laughs) It used to be a crime to be homosexual. Then it was an illness. Then it became normal. Then it became celebrated. And if you were opposed to it, you know, you were normal. (laughs) Then you became sick. You're a homophobe, and now it's a crime. (laughs) evil good and good evil. I mean, we can't be influenced by that. So, let me just, I won't keep you all day. We need to We need to have a reverence for the Lord's church. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it or Hades. One of the things that I know different um, now than, than uh, when I was young was we were we, we were very happy and counted ourselves blessed to be a part of the Lord's church. We called it the church of Christ. We made a point. This is not a denomination. That's, that's, a, that's a descriptive term. We are the church that belongs to Christ. It's not a name like some other name. We're, it's an identifying mark. We are the Lord's church, the church that belongs to Christ, and we would proclaim that gladly. And people will mock you. They mock, mocked us then. They mocked in Jesus' day, and they will mock now. You're the only people that are going to heaven. Everybody else is going to hell. That's what you people teach. You don't even have music. I mean, there were plenty of bad things. Again, some of them we talked about. You have no right to judge me and all that kind of thing. But look, we can kowtow to that. We can be afraid to talk to our neighbors. We can be afraid to even bring it up because we think we're going to get a negative reaction to that. But we used to hold up our Bible and say, Look, we have no head but Christ. We have no headquarters but heaven. We have no creed but the Lord's Word. We're trying to serve God the way He's asked us to serve. That's a good thing. We ought to be able to smile, not arrogantly say, You're going to hell and I'm not, or, or, you, or, or you have this or that or the other. We teach them why we don't have a headquarters, why we don't have a head but Jesus, why we only use the Bible. And we ought to be be thankful and excited about that. We worship like the first century church did. And, And we want to be the church that Christ built. And look, we need to proclaim the gospel. We do. Not just here. Some of, those, some of those meetings that we used to have back in the old days, we didn't get to build up the congregation, you know, meetings all the time where, where the preacher preaches a sermon on, on uh, some topic or some subject. They were out there pounding the gospel to people who were coming who hadn't obeyed the gospel. You hardly ever, now, if you have any needs of the congregation, come forward while we stand and sing. What does that mean? I know what you mean when you say that, if you say that. for some fellow that's outside of Christ or some woman that's outside of Christ is not going to know that. In our world, their idea of, of honoring God, is God wants me to be happy, right? He wants me to be happy. And he does want me to be happy, by the way. But he doesn't want just what he thinks to my way of thinking for me to be happy. He wants me to be happy with what he wants, with what he's asked, and be thankful that Christ died for our sins and was raised never to die again with a precious promise that I too would be resurrected and could live in heaven. He wants me to be happy with that, and who would not? And he wants me to worship the way he wants me to worship, not the way I want to worship. I looked up, or actually my wife looked up a... Uh, just to find out what kind of church it was. I didn't know. It's just like a kind of an, an ambiguous name or something. And, uh, and their slogan was uh, the church where people who, no, the place where people who don't like church love to attend. I mean, that's a rousing endorsement of God. Hey, I can understand why you don't like going to church, so come on over here. You know, the party's on. That's not what We do. The gospel is the power of God to salvation way back then, and it's still the the power of God to salvation now. A lot of people don't want it. They're not going to listen to it. We talked about the wide gate, I mean, the wide path and the narrow path, and it's still there. But there are people who want to hear it. There are people with good and honest hearts that need to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's a repetitive theme. Paul said we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. But he parenthesisizes, he has on both sides of that. We make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. That's me, Right? And knowing the terror of the Lord, we proclaim, him to, we, we proclaim him to others. What's the point? My job is to honor God, honor Christ, hold him up as true life. First, I've got to do my very best to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And secondly, I have a responsibility to hold him up to the world and to teach him to the others. That's what Paul says. When I've I got to face God in judgment, I'm going to make myself well-pleasing. And knowing the terror of God, I'm going to talk to other people. I'm going to persuade all men. That's us too. I know he was an apostle, but that doesn't exempt me from being that. Let's get excited to tell others. Even if we know some of them aren't going to want it. Some will. But we can't let that, us, that deter us from telling people. Because there are people who want to hear the truth. And who recognize the stuff that's going on it may not be what God wants. And we need to have a, we need to resurrect a reverence for the souls of men. So. I'm sorry to be so clock conscious, but anyway. I, like I said, I don't have my wife. That's not too bad, is it? Look, there's a lot of things we can't control, but it doesn't change our responsibility. And I'm just telling you, we all have to, we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. Is that scary? Makes me feel a whole lot better that Jesus died for me and shed his blood because I know otherwise I'm out. Lock, stock, and barrel, and you are too. But I know that God isn't willing that any should perish, that he wants me to be saved. He's not up there ready to strike me dead or cast me to hell because I slipped. But he wants me to try my best to be well-pleasing to him, just like Paul. And he wants me to try to reach out to others. So if you taught one person, and I know you've heard stuff like this before, but if you taught one person the gospel, man or woman, and they taught their husband or wife, and they taught their children, and their children had children, do you see what I'm saying? If there's an empty spot in here and a good and honest heart out there that hadn't heard the gospel that I'm acquainted with. I'm fearful I'm going to have to give an account for that. Why didn't you talk to him, Bill? Why didn't you talk to her, Bill? But if we do, I still believe, in spite of the fact that our culture has gone to pot and we're worried about that, I still believe that there will be more people in here sitting in these pews, singing out whether they can carry a tune or not singing out and worshiping god the way that he would have it and souls would be saved wouldn't you like to face the lord and he's saying i really appreciate you talking to so and so you know i'm so thankful i knew he would be one of mine but that's in our hands we talked this morning god doesn't always give us what we ask for you know we ask according to his will fervently. Well, I'll tell you, we know that God also reaches other people through people teaching the gospel. He doesn't just directly, boom, you get it, boom, you get it. The gospel is spread by you and me taking it to the world. And it's not for preachers. It's not like, it's a preacher's job. It's your job, too. It's your job. If you're here this morning and you need to resurrect a reverence toward God, work on it, think about it, because God expects that. I mean, he's above, it. If you read the passages that just describe who he is and what he can do, you know how great he is, but you can look outside in the spring and see how great he is. You think, wow, that's amazing. Boy, is that beautiful. It just feels so good to drive down through here and see these things that God has created. Who can do that? <clears throat> that should inspire us to have reverence, shouldn't it? But it also inspires inspire us to have reverence, to know that we're going to face him and give an answer. And he's asked us and told us how to live our lives. Hell is a place for people who haven't obeyed the gospel no matter how good they might be or seem. So if you're here this morning and you're outside of Christ, you need to believe in Christ as the Savior. Peter said, this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And you need to repent and turn to him and be baptized, buried and raised a new creature just like he was. Almost got through it without doing that. Anyway, wake up. No, I'm just kidding. And rise up a new creature. Walk in the light as he is in the light, and the blood of Christ will cleanse you from all sins. Now, that's a pretty good promise, isn't it? A pretty good promise. God's done the heavy lifting. It's up to you. Don't lose your soul over something such as that. Yeah, it's a hard job. We, it's a hard walk, but it's not that hard. We have help all the time. We have brethren, and we have the Lord. Let's walk. Let's make that step. If, if you've already made that step and you've turned away, repent right now. I don't know what you need. You know what you need, and the Lord knows what you need. But if if the congregation, no, we invite you to come forward as we stand and say.